know this guy? Anybody know who this is? Okay, who is it? Stephen Wright is his name. He is a comedian. He was famous back in, I guess, maybe the 80s and the 90s and everything like that. I'm sure he still goes around, but he is one of my favorite comedians. i tell you what, uh, two reasons I like him. He is a psycho comedian. I mean, he's a, he's a psycho, okay? I love psychos, all right? The second reason, that except my psycho cat, <laughs> I want to kill her. Anyway, um, <laughs> the second reason I like Stephen Wright I don't, I don't know if he's a Christian, but he is. All of his jokes are clean. He has clean jokes. So thank God for somebody to tell clean jokes. I don't think it takes a whole lot of brains to tell a dirty joke, but for you to be consistently funny and tell clean jokes, I think you're a smarter person. And so he, and everybody has a different sense of humor. Remember Rodney Dangerfield, his sense of humor was kind of slapstick and all this kind of crazy stuff. I, I remember him one time saying. My wife is so fat that when she wears high heels, she strikes oil. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's Rodney Danger's sense of humor. Stephen Wright is a totally different kind of comedian because he talks like this. He talks very monotone. I went down the street the other day. I mean, that's all he does. That's how he gives a comedian. Uh, and so I ran across some of his jokes the other day. Now, this is part of my sermon, okay? I ain't just telling jokes this morning. I'm getting to something with this. Here, here's the way he. Here's some of his uh, jokes. I picked out just a few, and hopefully you'll find these funny. I hope these don't bomb, you know, because I ain't him telling them. But anyway, here's here's what he said, and he'll say it this way: My mechanic told me I couldn't repair your brakes, so I just made your horn louder. <laughs> and then he said, "If it if at first you don't succeed, skydiving is not for you." <laughs> uh, then he said, if, oh, I like this one. If everything seems to be going well, you obviously have overlooked something. <laughs> um, and then he said, what happens if you get scared to death twice? <laughs> then he said this. I intend, he goes, I intend to live forever. So far, so good. <laughs> and what I want to talk about today is plan on living forever. Now, I know he was joking around, but the truth is, we are all going to live forever. Once you were born, you're never going to die. I mean, as far as going out of existence, you will live forever somewhere. And there are only two destinations. Now, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, we're going to talk about that today. You need to plan on living forever, and you need to plan on the right place to live forever. And this is just a simple, simple sermon. And uh, I want to start off by asking this, showing you a great question. There is a great question that needs to be asked, and it's in your bulletin. Would you get your bulletins out? Make sure you have the verses in front of you. And here's that question written by a man by the name of Job. 
And uh, here's what he said in Job 14, verse 14. If a man dies, will he live again? That's a great question. Do you know what I think? I think in the back of everybody's heart that's ever been born, if they'll be honest, they're asking that question. Whether they've ever been in a church or not, what happens to me after I die? That's another way to say it. Is there life after death? Is there life beyond the grave? That is a great question. And listen, you need to ask that question and you need to have your plans for the answer to that question. A great question. Robert Wiles, y'all know little Robert Wiles, who, vis, uh, who was a, a guest of our church, ended up joining. And if you don't know, Robert has one of the wildest stories. Now, he's got dementia. And Robert started telling me this when he got here. I mean, I could tell, you know, he, he had that look, just like things were kind of going out there. And, uh, but I started talking to him, and somehow the conversation came up that he taught Elvis Presley karate. And then he said he owned five hair salons in Memphis. And I, I thought, well, bless his heart, bless his heart. You know, I, I, he's got dementia, he's kind of hallucinating about those things. And so when he uh, ended up having to go in the hospital a few weeks ago, I talked to his daughter and I said, by the way, can I ask you a question? Your dad said that he taught Elvis Presley karate. Is that true? Yes, I've got the pictures. And so she sent me the pictures of Robert. And I'll show them to you. I mean, I showed them to people on Wednesday night. I've got pictures of Robert in the a black karate outfit. He was the head instructor. Everybody else is in white, and Elvis is down here sitting on the bottom. And there's Robert. And, and also, uh, Robert was on the um, uh, worked at the movie Steel Magnolias and helped do the makeup and some of the hair thing for some of the people on that, on that movie. And, uh, and I got the picture to show that. But I found out something. I really got to know Robert, and I really liked the guy. I wished I could have known him in his prime. But they took him home a few weeks ago after he had been in the hospital for like two months. They put him in a nursing home for like two months. Took him home. He fell, had to take him in another hospital. And to be honest with you, his family does not. It's strange. You've heard me say that there's no support at all. No support at all to him. So he's by himself with dementia in a hospital. And so I started praying with him. I said, Robert, I know you're tired. I know you just want to meet Jesus. And, um, you know, he said, yes. And so I started praying with him. Lord, when it's your perfect time, it's God's time. I said, be merciful to Robert and just take him on home so he can be with you. And so we, we started praying. His daughter called me last night, and she said, the nurse, he's now in the hospital up in the mountain home, the nurse is saying now he's stopped eating, and he does not have a, um, he has a living will where he does not want 
food feeding tube if he's in that state. So more than likely, in the next few days, Robert is going to step from this life into another life. And the good thing is, the one thing I ask everybody, I don't care who they were, he was a member at Aiden Rogers Church there in Bellevue, believe it or not, for decades. But I always ask this question, Robert, have you been saved? Have you been born again? And clear, clear, clear testimony of knowing the Lord. The greatest thing that you can do for your family is when you die, that you leave them without question that you are ready for the next life, that you were saved. That's the greatest gift you can give your family. I would hate for my family to bury me. I'm not talking about me personally because I know I'm saved. But I'm speaking as if I'm speaking to all. I would hate that when you die to leave your family with a question mark about where you really went after you died. Because you're going to go somewhere after you die. Now that you're born, <laughs> y'all know that, don't you? You are born. Okay. You, you will live on forever. And you need to have a plan of where you're going to go if you live forever. That is a great question. Now, there have been a lot of speculation about what happens after you die. Life after death. Is there an afterlife? I remember uh, listening to uh, one of the members of Pink Floyd who was talking about, um, I don't know how the subject came up, but he was talking about life after death. Do you believe in life after death? And he said, no, think when we die, that's it. And I wanted to say, how do you know that? And what if you're wrong? There have been philosophers throughout all different kind of ages who have wrestled with that question. Is this life all there is? Is there life with, after death? And you know what they answer? All different kind of answers to that question. Some of them did believe in the life after death. Some of them didn't believe in life after death. Some of them have strange theories that we just live in this sleepless, sleepy, ethereal state. But they're all different and they're all just wild guesses about it with no authority and no, with no basis. And one of the things that has been, I think, dangerously deceptive in recent decades is what they call NDEs. I don't know if you ever heard of that. NDE stands for near-death experiences. It is people who say stuff like, well, I was on the hospital bed and I died and I floated above my body and, and I saw this bright light in this tunnel and I walked down the tunnel and all these kind of things. And, and now, Let me tell you the danger in that. It's because different people are coming back with different stories and totally different conclusions about what happens on the other side of that. For instance, there was a lady named um, 
Edie, Mary Edie or something like that. Anyway, uh, she was on the Oprah program. And she wrote a book. It was a best-selling book called Embraced by the Light. And it was about that thing, these near-death experiences. And she said that when she, Oprah, was interviewing her, I was, I was listening to Oprah, who's like the most new age person out there in the planet. And, and, and Oprah asked her this question, because the lady said she saw Jesus. And so Oprah asked, when you saw Jesus, is he really as cool as I think he is? That he's just going to let everybody in? And she said, oh, yes, he's going to let everybody in. You see that? That is demonic and deceptive. And even this, I hate to tell you this, you've heard of books called by this little boy who was like four years old, died and went to heaven, wrote a book about that, and you've heard other books like that, and Christians will buy them hook, line, and sinker without any kind of discernment. Let me, let me ask you a question. This little boy went up there and he said he saw all these, all these things about heaven, very descriptive and stuff like that. But let me ask you a question. The Apostle Paul, the Bible says, God called him up into the third heaven while he was alive in the Spirit, and God would not even let the great Apostle Paul come back and give a report on what he saw up there. Now let me ask you a question. How would God give a four-year-old little boy or whoever else a vision of heaven and wouldn't even let his own Apostle Paul tell about it. And I want to tell you something. There are a lot of confusing and different stories that come out of there. That is not a reliable source to base what happens on the other side on. And then, <clears throat> there are people uh, back in the uh, mid-1800s especially, um, a spiritist movement arose where people wanted to be spiritual, but they didn't want to get in touch with the one true God. They just wanted to be spiritual. And so they started having seances and meeting around tables. And they would have a lady there called a medium, meaning she's a channel. And so, um, uh, by the way, you know, whatever God does, Satan likes to counterfeit. Okay? Uh, do you know we sing a song, Make Me a Channel of Blessing? Because, I, I, Vito, I want God to live through me. I want God to preach through me this morning. I, I just want to be a channel, okay? But Satan does that. He counterfeits it. And so he'll have some lady or some man sit around a dark table usually in some creepy-looking house. <laughs> and, and they sit around the table, and, and, and she's trying to contact the dead to let this person on the other side of death to come back and tell them about this. And so the medium will sit there and begin to talk. Now, can I say most of that is fake? It's just fake. But I do believe on occasion that that medium becomes possessed by a demon and that demon knew that person they're talking about. Satan can dispatch one of his demons to do that. And so that demon begins to talk through that medium and say about, uh, about what they're doing over there and all these kind of things. And, um, 
and it is demonic deception. And so we have a great question. Where are we going to find our plan to this great question? Well, I'm going to give you, we need a source, a reliable source of where to find that answer. And so I want to give you next a solid answer. Where can we find the answer to life after death? How can we plan on living forever? Well, we don't need to, to go by human speculation. Because you can get a hundred different answers on that. Who's right? We don't need to go by near-death experiences which contradict one another. Who's right? Was that even real? Was that demonic deception? And we certainly don't need to get into the area of the occult. Well, we try to figure that out by talking to somebody who says they can channel into the other side and be deceived by demons. So we don't need human speculation. We don't need demonic deception. Guess what we need? We need divine revelation. We need God to speak, the one who created eternity, the one who lives in eternity, to tell us what the true solid answer is where we can bank our eternity on it. You know what the Bible says? That uh, there are prophets all over the Bible. Many of them are false prophets. And you know what they did back in the Old Testament? Now this was a different era. It was just for the Jewish people. It was not for our era today. But you know what? God told the Jewish people in their situation, their specific laws, if someone gives a prophecy, if they get one wrong, stone them to death. God's test for a prophet is that they have to be right 1,000% of the time. They can't miss one. If they miss one, they're a false prophet. And basically, he's just setting the standard so high. And there were great prophets. Isaiah spoke from God, the Bible says. And that's who we need to listen to. But let me tell you, the highest authority in the Bible is Jesus. Look what he says here in 2 Timothy 1 verse 10 about him. Christ has destroyed death, and through the good news, He has brought eternal life into full view. In other words, Jesus, as God in the flesh, lived among us, took upon human flesh, died on a cross, was resurrected from the dead, and has the authority, the authority to tell us what is on the other side. Now, let me, let me share something with you. You know, to tell you how reliable the Bible is, did you know that hundreds of years, uh, back in the 500-something, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, 
There was a prophet by the name of Daniel. God gave Daniel a vision, and he predicted four world empires. He predicted the uh, Babylonian Empire. He predicted that the Babylonian Empire uh, would be um, conquered by another group. And then he predicted a mighty ruler from the Greece, from Greece that would arise and his ascent and his conquering would be so rapid he pictured him in that vision that God gave him of a goat that was flying across the ground. He was so swift. Did you know that Alexander the Great conquered the world by the time he was in his early 30s? Could you imagine that? A lot of us can't even pay off our student loans by our early 30s, <laughs> right? And, uh, it, and, the, and the Bible, but this was hundreds of years before this happened. And you can go back. It's a proven fact of when Daniel was written. And Daniel, God gave Daniel a prophecy that when Alexander the Great's kingdom would be split, it would split up in four parts. That's exactly what happened when Alexander the Great died. There were four people that came out of that who ruled over different parts of um, that empire at that time. I mean, that's just one among a billion, well, not a billion, a bunch of prophecies, thousands of prophecies. Did you know the Bible even predicted King Cyrus and God called him by name? before he was ever born, that there was going to be a king named Cyrus. It is a fact. It is in history. This is where you find your solid answer. Right here. This is the only book God ever wrote. Now, take a look here about Jesus. We should believe this entire book, but especially the one who wrote it. Look what the Bible calls him in Revelation 3.14. He is the faithful and true witness. Now, let me, let me give you some, some ways that I think, that I know that there's another life after this life. Is there not just a sense of incompleteness here? I mean, is this really all there is? I mean, is there not something in you that tells you that when you die, you're just not going to cease to exist? There's just something there that there's got to be a better place. There's got to be a... We look at this world and we're like, man, things are messed up, things are messed up. Because we know there's a perfect place innately inside of us. And that's why we say, why can't this be like that? Secularists call it utopia. That's what they think. But we know that's heaven. And we're always struggling on this earth. Can we get the right person in? Can we do this? Can we do that? Will technology fix all this mess? Because we know there's just a sense of incompleteness here. Look what the Bible says in Romans 8, 23. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a future foretaste of, as a foretaste of future glory, also groan to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as His children, including the new bodies He has promised us. How many of y'all are excited about getting a new body? Amen? 
Anybody excited about that? Now, young'uns, I'm telling you. Uh, uh, pff, hush. Uh, anyway, John, you need to work with your son, okay, about that. We need to humble him a little bit, showing off his muscle. Now, listen, you feel like you're good. Hey, listen, 10 more years, son, you're going to be aching and hurting. And, uh, you, you know, um, uh, when, when Gail and I are walking around the house, every time we get up, you know what? The Bible's saying that this body is like a tent. It's tattered. It's decaying. There's just that sense of incompleteness here. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 2. We grow weary in our present bodies. And we long for the day when we will put on heavenly bodies like new clothing. We long for that day when there's no more suffering. When there's no more tears. Jesus said there's life after death. He is God in the flesh. He cannot lie. Look what it said. I mean, look what it said in John eleven twenty five through 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said if you want to rise from the dead, I am that resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, that is, he gets saved, he puts trust in me, though he may die, he shall live... That is, live in heaven. We're all going to live somewhere. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then to top it all off, if, if God cannot do anything else to prove that He has the answer, Jesus rose from the dead. He was on one side of death, and he went through the other side of, the death, uh, of death. And look what it says in Revelation 1. Jesus said, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Who holds your eternity in his hand? Jesus does. You can't get into heaven unless you talk to the one with the keys. All right. Now, quickly and finally, there is a personal response. You've got to do this for yourself. You can't do it for somebody else. When I witness to people, I'll say, you can't do this to please me. Please do not say you want to get saved and ask Jesus in your heart just to please me. Please don't do that because it won't be real. Please don't do that to please somebody in your family. Please don't do that under pressure. Do it because you feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you you need to get saved. You need to plan for your eternity. All the truth that I've shared with you requires a response and it requires a response right now. God said today if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. There was a man by the name of Josh McDowell. He was an atheist, a militant atheist. 
a mad atheist. You ever known atheists that are mad about it? <laughs> they hate God. Uh, it's like, why do you hate something that doesn't exist? Uh, anyway, so they, he hated God. He hated Christians. He was militant about it. He would argue with anybody about atheism and his beliefs on that. He was so antagonistic that when he was in college, he set out to disprove Christianity, specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he went to town on it like crazy and studied it, studied history, studied sources, studied the Bible, did everything in the world to try to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what happened to him? He got saved. Because <laughs> he couldn't disprove it once he looked at the facts. And he wrote a famous book. And the title of that book was this, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Evidence That Demands a Verdict. That book is a book about questions that skeptics ask about Christianity, and he proves as much as a human being can possibly put it into words, the authenticity of the Bible, of the gospel, and who Jesus was in his death and burial re resurrection. I, re I recommend that book to you. Evidence that demands a verdict. I have given you enough evidence today. If you want to get saved, you can get saved. I have given you enough evidence that there is an afterlife and there are two places that you go. You can either go to heaven or you can go to hell. God will not, God will not send you to heaven and He will not send you to hell. You choose. It's a required res response. If you want to try to make it to the other side without being saved, then that's your choice. Jesus said in John, uh, John said about Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, look that there. Even in his own land and among his own people, that's Jesus, who became a Jew by, by flesh in his humanity, he was not accepted. Most of the Jews rejected Jesus. But to all who believed Him Amen. and accepted them, He gave the right to become children of God. Amen. They are reborn. This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This rebirth comes from God. That's the verdict. And here's the good thing is this. If you will embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, if you will pray to receive Jesus into your heart, then guess what He's going to do? He is going to give you 100% absolute assurance that what you did was real. And you have the ability now, if you do that, to never, ever, ever doubt where you're going. How do I know that? Look what it says in 1 John 5.13, and we'll close. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have 
eternal life. Let's bow for a word of prayer. There is another life. Are you ready for that other life? Are you ready for what awaits you beyond the grave? Jesus holds the keys. And He holds the keys from an old rugged cross. And you behold Him in your heart and your spirit on that old rugged cross. And He's extending that hand of mercy and saying to you, Grab my hand. Trust me. And I'll take you to heaven. And not only that, I will let you know 1,000% sure that you're going to heaven. No doubts. So in your heart right now, do you see the hand of Jesus His nail-scarred hand reaching down and Him saying, Believe me, trust me, that I died on the cross, that I am who I say I am. And in your heart, would you just hold your spiritual hand up, so to speak, and grab Jesus' hand and say, Lord, I believe. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I believe. 